All right, so we come now to the second table of the law. Remember, the first four commandments, they deal with our relationship with God. Now, the last six of these commandments deals with our relationships with others. As Jesus put it so well in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two command, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So ten short commandments depends on all of the law and the prophets. It's amazing. So the story goes, there's an 18-year-old kid, just graduated high school. And he decided not to go to college right away. He didn't know what he wanted to do. So he stayed home, he worked at a job, not really doing much of anything with his life. This went on for about six months to about a year. Then one, one day, this guy's dad comes home, sees his son sitting on the couch like a bum in the living room. So the father, standing for his son, with all seriousness and concern for him, said, you need to do something with your life. Get off your butt. Either go to work, go to school, do something. You cannot just sit here and do nothing. So what do you think the son did? Was the father right in speaking this way to an adult son? What would you say to your child if they're in that same situation? Now, these are all good questions to think through. You may have a list of other questions as well. and You may be thinking what you would say or what you would be feeling if this was your child sitting on the couch doing nothing for a year. And given what's transpiring in our society today, I'm very confident that these conversations are happening all the more and more and more. Now, with what I want to do today with our time studying the fifth commandment, I want to explore just a little bit with you. I'm sure there are many of you who have very specific questions on how do I apply this commandment in my life? Well, I'd love to explore all these individual questions, all these individual situations. And the few, you know, 45 minutes we have together, there's no way that's going to happen. I want to pull back to about 30,000 foot view and look at principles. How can we apply this overall to our lives? Because if we was going to do an individual study on individual topics, this would be a multi-week, a multi-month long study on the fifth commandment. So with that, we're going to stay brief. We're going to say hi. We'll dip down in the clouds a little bit and come back up. So with that, open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 and verse 12. We all know this well, but it's still good to put our eyes on the text and God's word. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God is giving to you. We all know it. All of us as parents have this memorized. We have probably said this a thousand times in the discipline room to the child who's being disobedient. We know it. Our kids have heard us say it a thousand times. But the question still needs to be asked, what does it mean to honor? 
should this only be applied exclusively to fathers and to mothers? Then what of the promise at the end? What does that imply for us today? That's going to be our framework. That's our ground for the study today. We're going to look at it historically and expositionally, and then we're going to get into some practical applications. So honor, what does honor mean? Simply put, it's to have reverence and respect. We know that. In fact, we practice that very concept every day without ever thinking about it. We do it subconsciously. For any examples of that, a stop sign. It's an inanimate object. It's red. It's got eight sides. All says is stop. But yet, we honor that stop sign, right? We know if we just go through that stop sign, that stop sign is not going to come after us. It's not going to chase us down and hit us. It's not going to do anything. It's inanimate. But yet, we respect it. We honor it. Why do we honor something that cannot do anything to us? Because we know it's there for our safety and for others' safety as well. Think of the do not enter signs. One way only. Wash your hands. All these signs, we respect, we honor them without questioning. We just do it. But yet, when someone brings up, how do I honor this person? How do I respect this person? Suddenly, we don't know what to do. Kind of curious, kind of odd that a stop sign, we know exactly what to do. Dealing with people, we are lost. Honor your fathers and your mothers. So honor can also mean to be heavy, to be weighty. Think along the lines of presence in this application. Should the president of the United States walk into this room, there will be a weightiness to that. It's not because of the person, but it's because of the office he holds. Think of when a judge walks into a courtroom. It's not the man's name that brings weightiness. It's the title. It's the office. There's a weightiness to that. So you get it. You understand what honor means. That we're going to reverence, we're going to respect it because it has weight behind it. I don't think I need to belabor that word anymore. So the question then is, why does God give this commandment? John MacArthur writes, The key to society stability is reverence and respect for parents and their authority. The appended promise primarily related the command to life in the promised land and reminded the Israelite of the program God had set up for him and his people. Within the borders of their territory, God expected them not to tolerate juvenile delinquency, which at heart is overt disrespect for parents and authority. Now, remember, what has God done? He's called them out of Egypt. These people who are at the base of the mountain, they're in Egypt for 400 years. As God is giving the law, he's given the Decalogue, he is laying down a foundation in which to build his people upon. The first four commandments sets God as the ultimate authority. There are no other gods. There's only one true God, and he shall be worshipped reverently and correctly. For he loves his people. Now this God is telling his people how they, 
are to love one another. An article from Ligonier writes, Scripture recognizes the family as the basic building block of a well-functioning society. Using it as a metaphor for the covenant community when it speaks of one's brothers and sisters and of the adoption we enjoy as children of God. Families where there is consistent discipline and the children are encouraged to love and respect both parents tend, don't hear, promise, or guarantee, but both parents tend to produce individuals who are productive, law-abiding members of society. The rule of thumb is consistency breeds consistency. If we as parents are consistent, our children are more than likely to be consistent as well. Now, because of that, that's the promise at the end, where there is obedience starting from the very bottom, children to parents, all the way up to the very top, the king ruling over the people, a society will be productive. The promise here was for the nation, for if disobedience came, there would be consequences. Because the fundamental building blocks of society that honors God starts with the family. And then it moves outwards in concentric circles, meaning family in the middle. And as that goes out, that's the ripple effect of why the family dynamic is so important. Now, when that breaks down, there are consequences. In fact, Deuteronomy 21 lays out one of the consequences of this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This is our son, stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Children, honor your father and your mother. There are consequences when you don't. Deuteronomy lays it out. Life and death consequences. God took this very serious. And so should we. Am I advocating that we pick up stones? No. But we should have a seriousness about raising our children. Curses and blessings are tied to this commandment. One of the reasons given for the Babylonian exile was a failure to honor parents. Ezekiel 22. So when Israel does not follow God's commands, God brings consequences. When we sin, there are consequences to be had. It hasn't changed. And obedience brings blessings. We know that. How many blessings do we incur because we simply obey? How many curses do we incur when we disobey? It's all over the New Testament and Old Testament. Blessings and curses. Remember how often the law is remembered as being good? 
how it nourishes our souls. It's a lamp unto our feet. The law is for our good. It's not a millstone around our necks. It shows us what is safe, good, and profitable for life. And that things outside the law brings danger, sin, and death. It is good because the one who's giving it is good. The law is not for our drudgery, but for our safety. The law is not for our sorrow, but our praising of God. We can praise the one when he says, you should have no other gods before me. It is for your safety you do not do this. We can apply that over and over to each of the commandments. Now, you may be expecting me to spend some time on what duties children are to obey and which sins they are to avoid. I'll get there. But however, I do want to take a small excursion before we focus on our children. So if you can, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, you may be wondering why I'm having you look at a text dealing with husbands and wives. The fifth commandment is not about husbands and wives. It says, children, obey your moms and your dads. It's about the child's obedience. It doesn't say anything about husbands and wives. But follow along as I read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You all know this text, and I believe many have had these verses probably read at your wedding, maybe at the renewal of a vow. You may even have a portion of these verses up on your wall with one of those vinyl stickers. You probably have these memorized. And that's a good thing. These are great verses. But for us today, I'm not going to do an in-depth study on these verses, but rather just point a few things out by way of application. Martin Lord-Jones, Martin Lord-Jones has this to say. No husband is entitled to say that he is the head of the wife unless he loves his wife. He is not carrying out the scriptural injunction unless he does so. These things go together. In other words, it is a manifestation of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit not lonely gives power, but he gives love and discipline also. So as the husband exercises his privilege as the head of the wife and the head of the family, he does so in this way, 
He is to be, be controlled always by love, and he is to be controlled by discipline. He must discipline himself. There may be the tendency to dictate, but he must never do so. So the reign of the husband is to be a reign of a rule of love. It is a leadership of love. It is not the idea of a pope or a dictator. It is not the case of, I said it, therefore. He does not speak by infallible rule. No. It is the power of love. It is the discipline of the spirit guarding this power and authority and dignity that are given to the husband. That is clearly the fundamental and controlling idea and the whole of this matter. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, are we loving our wives in this way? Are we disciplining ourselves? Is the spirit disciplining us? Is our leadership governed by love? If you need help answering these questions, ask your dear wife. She will help you. Wives, the text says to submit. Remember that submission is not the husband's to command, but for the wife to willingly and lovingly offer. By way of reminder of what you already know, wives, you should submit to, should you submit to a sinful request of your husband? No. You first submit to the Lord and then to your husband. If your husband says, do this, and you know it's a sin, you don't submit to that. Go to him and let him know, I cannot. And you can show him in the scriptures with gentleness and with love for your God and for love for him. So wives, are you loving your husband in this way? Is your submission given willingly? Is your submission born out of your submission to the Lord? Now, I encourage those who are married to explore these questions. On your next date night, spend some time exploring each other's hearts in these matters. Encourage one another. Point one another to the Lord. It's not a time to be bitter, but to point out the specks in each other's eyes, but to encourage one another. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about husbands and wives Because in the way God has commanded his people, children come from a male and a female who have been married and have become one. It's not female, female, male, male. One husband, one wife, together for life. Be fruitful and multiply. The context of children obeying their parents, it's in the home. So when a husband is loving his wife the way God has instructed, then the wife is far more likely to willingly and cheerfully submit to her husband. Then as a husband sees his wife obey the Lord in this way, he is encouraged and then grows in his love for both the Lord and for his, and for his wife. And then she sees that and grows in her love and her submission And it creates a beautiful cycle of love. Now we bring children into this circle of love. We can now ask the questions, fathers and mothers, are you loving the Lord and loving your children in such a way that your children willingly and cheerfully obey you? Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Taking the fifth commandment on a surface level and refusing to consider some of its broader implications would lead us to believe it applies only to how children are to relate to their parents. When it is viewed in light of the new covenant revelation in Christ, however, it is plain that the commandment is also instructive for parents and their relationship with their own children, as we just read in Ephesians 6. So Exodus 20. Children, honor your fathers and mothers, i.e., read. Parents, are you being a parent in such a way that your children desire to honor you? Clearly, the command to honor mother and father passes into the new covenant virtually unchanged, but it's now easier for us to see the duty that the command gives to parents. Children must obey and honor their parents, but parents must do everything in their power to make this obedience a joy and not a burden. This does not mean that parents become lax disciplinarians. Rather, they are to raise their children wisely working to help them want to choose what is pleasing to God. There's much more that can be said about how this might work itself out in the parent-child relationship. First, Matthew Henry reminds every parent that your children are pieces of yourselves and therefore ought to be governed with great tenderness and love. When you caution them, when you counsel them, when you reprove them, Do it in such a manner as not to exasperate them, endeavoring to convince their judgments and to work on their reason. In other words, parents should not discipline without reason, but should have rules that are clear and consequences that children can reasonably foresee before they engage in disobedience. When discipline is necessary... Mothers and fathers should also take the time to explain why a punishment is metered out in order that children might learn the error of their ways. That is, in fact, how the Lord disciplines us. He lays out the way we should follow, promises specific punishments for disobedience, and so forth. Deuteronomy 28, Hebrews 12. The Lord is kind that he says, if you do this, I will bless you. But if you do this, I will discipline you in these exact ways. When we are laying out our rules for our children, we do the same. Clear instructions with clear consequences as not to confuse them or to confuse us. Not exasperating our children also means that we do not become Pharisees who lay down burdens on our sons and our daughters that they cannot carry. This entails the avoidance of legalism at all costs. For nothing will provoke a child to rebel more quickly than a legalistic spirit. It also means not sheltering our children from the world entirely. Least they be unprepared for facing it when the time comes. 
We can only truly love and instruct our children when we first love the Lord and he is instructing us. Now, am I saying that if you love your child perfectly, that they, in turn, will obey perfectly? Definitely not. For all have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. Our children have sinful hearts. We still have sin residing in our flesh. Will we love our children perfectly? No. We won't. And our children will not obey us perfectly. They won't. We all know this. So we parent that with, with that in our minds. But we know our Heavenly Father is perfect. He disciplines us perfectly. He loves us perfectly. We enjoy that grace and we extend that grace to our children. A child must first see obedience from their parents to God. Love for one another and then taught obedience. Remember how the old saying goes, more be caught than taught. There's a Casting Crown song about little eyes are always watching. They are. And they will mimic us very well. You see something they do, you're like, huh, where did that come from? Well, it's either you or your spouse. It might just be you on that one. But they're always watching, always seeing, always listening. Parents, we are to love our children through discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means we are teaching them about God, about whom we are in relation to him, our duty to God and to our fellow men. We are to be disciplining the sin we see in our children as our Heavenly Father disciplines the sin He sees in us. So what does that look like? A few quick thoughts from Thomas Watson. I condensed about 12 pages down into a paragraph for this few quick thoughts. Five easy points. Number one, be careful to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Bring them up in the ammunition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Number two, if you would have your children honor you, keep up parental authority. Be kind, but do not spoil them. If you do not discipline them, they will despise you instead of honoring you. The rod of discipline must not be withheld. Number three, provide for your children what is fitting. Both in their minority and when they come into maturity. The children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Second Corinthians 12. They are your own flesh. And as the apostle says, no man ever hated his own flesh. Ephesians 5. Number four. When your children are grown up, put them to some lawful vocation wherein they may serve their generation. Put that in common vernacular. When children turn 18 or maybe 15, they need to get a job. And it is okay for them to work, to sweat, and to struggle. Not a bad thing. It's a building thing. Okay. Number five, act lovingly to your children. In all your counsels and commands, let them read love. Love will, will command honor. 
How can a parent but love the child who is his living pitcher? Nay, part of himself. The child is the father in the second edition. So when we're thinking about children and obedience, remember, a child's obedience grows and develops over time. You know it to be true. Intuitively, you know this to be true. A newborn baby is not able to obey the command, take out the trash. That baby can only do three things. They eat, they sleep, they poop. Over and over and over again. But as they grow and are able to understand simple commands, then we can start working and teaching obedience to them. So for example, my two-year-old, he can somewhat kind of not really use a broom to clean the kitchen floor. He does things. He knows how to hold it. He runs it back and forth. That's great. But he obeyed the command, let's sweep the floor. My five-year-old, she knows how to clean a toilet. Then my nine-year-old, she can do all of those things plus more. And as they grow older, I'm expecting more out of them and in their obedience. So as they grow, their obedience grows. The way we as parents instruct changes as our children grow older and more mature. The fundamentals remain the same. To love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor. That never changes. We build upon those fundamentals. That also means as a child grows in maturity and curiosity, they will ask the famous question, why? Why? Why do I need to do this chore? Why must I clean the dishes? Why must I clean up after the dog? Why? 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 Parents, favorite question, why? But parents, and I'm speaking to myself more than anyone in this room, as you're able, explain to them the why. They do not always need to know the why, however. There are times when saying, Why? For those are my instructions. That is sufficient. That will suffice. But then there are other times. Explaining the why will help them learn a lesson and prepare them for later in life. There is a time and the place for explaining. There's a time and the place to say, this is the command. Let's get it done. But let's not strive But let's strive not to miss those moments when we can teach and explain to our children. So, back to the children. Parents, you're off the hot seat now. Put kids back in it. So how does a child honor their father and their mother? Parents are to be honored and feared. Reverence is to be shown to them with heart and mouth and hand. And thought, word, and deed. If you were to ask the catechism classes, how can you show honor to your parents? You would likely hear all sorts of answers with the same exact theme. Obedience, obey, obey, do this, do that. They're all great answers. Go to church, read your Bible, play nice with my siblings, and on and on we go. But the theme of obedience is there. It's there at a young age. You can ask the young kids, how do you honor mommy and daddy? Do what they say. Three, four years old, they understand that. All the way up to teenage years. 
Obedience is the theme. Loving and cheerful obedience should be desired from our children. And at the younger ages, that's the measure. Are they lovingly doing the things we ask? Are they cheerfully doing the things they ask? Will they always have a smile on their face when they're lugging out the trash to the curb? No. But can they know they're doing it because it shows love to the family? Yes, they can. And that's how we can teach them. Doing chores, being obedient is about serving others. While studying for this, I came across a little article from Ligonier on this topic. And one of the things they point out was the results of an obedient child is a praising parent. There's a general rule when we follow in order to make sure that godly parents are honoring the main direction in our lives. And that rule is outlined in Proverbs 23. So if God rejoices over his children when they do righteousness and please him, Godly parents will certainly rejoice when their sons and daughters honor them by doing what is right. In Proverbs 23, you can look at it later if you want. Righteous and wise children are the cause of much joy in their parents, as any mother or father of those kinds of children will tell you. This reality is to be a motivation for our actions as parents. Since we are to honor our mothers and fathers, we are to do things that will cause them to rejoice. The deeds that will cause them to rejoice are deeds birthed in righteousness and wisdom. So we must therefore endeavor to act wisely and in righteousness in order to honor our parents and make them joyful. Are we teaching our children wisdom and righteousness? That they can be doing these tasks, these instructions from a cheerful heart. Do they see us cheerfully obeying the rules that we have set forth? Elbows off of the table at dinner. No ice cream till everyone is done. All these little house rules. Are your children, are my children, seeing us, seeing me, obeying the same rules I expect of them? We can encourage our children by our own obedience as well. Parents can encourage their sons and their daughters to do do that which will please them through regular instruction and commandments of the Lord. Taking time to teach children our Father's righteous way at every opportunity, as Deuteronomy 6 encourages us, helps our children to understand how they may apply the law of God in every circumstance of life, producing both wisdom and and faithfulness. Such instruction can be carried out not only with small children, but even with those who have grown and left the home. Regular conversations about spiritual matters are an invaluable way to convey what we have learned to our adult children, all of whom need help in learning how to be faithful in the Lord. Family worship. It's a great time to be doing these things with our children. Rather young, or in their 30s or 40s, adult children, young children, we can all benefit from regular family worship together as we talk and teach about the Lord. Now, a quick note on obedience from our children. 
As parents, we should expect careful obedience from them, which means as parents, are we being careful in our instructions? Are our instructions clear? Are they appropriate for the age? If I go back to my two-year-old and say, son, go wash the car. Something may happen with water and something will happen with car and wash may not even be the right word to describe what happened. Just like I shouldn't ask my nine-year-old, go cook me a perfectly medium flame mignon steak on the grill. Something may happen. A porch may catch on fire. I don't know. But were my instructions clear? Yes. Were they appropriate for the age? No. Born from a heart of teaching to serve others and not selfishness. That is what we are aiming to do when we're teaching our children to obey. That is from a heart of serving others and not themselves. Now, I know a question that's on our minds. Does this commandment apply to relationships outside of the parent-child context? I know everyone's kind of questioning that. And the answer is, yes, it does. It does. As a child is growing up in the home and parents are teaching them to honor how to honor them, they are teaching the children how to honor those in authority over them in principle. So in the home, the context, honor your father and mother. Learn to respect and obey your mom and your dad. Applying that to our society. Honor and respect those who are in authority over you. Remember, concentric circles of authority. We start at the center, mom and dad, and we work out. Media context here at church. Children, obey your elders in the church. Obey the deacons. Honor them. Obey your catechism teachers. We can go on and on with examples. An Old Testament commentator writes this. Honor your father and mother. Does not refer to fellow men, but to those who are representatives of God. Therefore, as God is to be served with honor and fear, his representatives are to be so too. This is placed beyond all doubt by Leviticus 19.3, where reverence towards parents is placed on on equality with the observance of the Sabbath, and fear is substituted with honor. Same Hebrew root word, they changed what they wanted to imply with it. It's going from fear to honor. Neighbors are to be loved. Parents, on the other hand, are to be honored and feared. But by father and mother, we are not to understand merely the authors and preservers of our bodily life, but also the founders, protectors, and promoters of our spiritual life. So application for that. Grandparents, encourage your grandkids to listen, to honor, and love their parents. Showing wisdom when maybe your kids has a house rule that you don't have when you was growing up. And having the wisdom say that's a preference thing versus a scriptural matter. You can have those conversations with your adult kids when grandkids are not in sight. And they're not listening to that conversation. But grandparents, you can be encouraging your grandkids, honor your mom and your dad. 
It can be hard sometimes, but it will be good for you. Singles, those who are not married, those who don't have kids yet, you can encourage the parents. You can encourage those kids, honor and obey your moms and your dads. It'd be ama- it's amazing how adult friends to kids can so easily sway that child's thinking towards or about their parents. If there's a friend in the church, a friend in some other circle who's very close with your kids, they have a lot of sway over their little hearts. Maybe more than as a parent we want to really admit to. But we need to be mindful of who is speaking into that child's heart. And if you have that ear, encourage them. Love them to obey well. Now, as parents, we intuitively understand that this command of honor your father and your mother does apply broader pretty easily. Date nights. Do we tell our kids, you need to listen or obey to your babysitter? Or do we say, don't listen to them. Do what you will. I'll be back in three hours. Bye. No one does that? Okay, good. Yeah, we tell our children, listen and obey to the babysitter. They're not your mom and your dad, but they're an authority over you. We are extending our parental authority to that person for a short time. Now, Paul in the New Testament, he writes a lot about the other relationships, employer, employee. And at the heart of all those things is loving your neighbor as yourself. So when Paul's writing about the employer-employee relationship, slave and master, it's about how do we love our neighbor, even when we don't want to? How do we love our neighbor? Now, there are numerous articles and books on that topic. So I'm not going to go too much more into it, man, because I'm running out of time quickly, and I've got a page and a half to go. So we're going to get going. So with the time that remains, what are the duty and sins of this commandment, duty to obey and the sin to avoid, the CFPC catechism on the duty to obey. Now, I know I've got a couple of catechism ears in here, so they should be able to recite this perfectly with me. It means that we honor and perform the duties and requirements that belongs to everyone in their right relations. Truly, this calls all of us to honor, love, and show faithfulness to our father and mother and to all in authority over us. This includes submitting ourselves with rightful obedience to all their good instruction and correction. Key word, their good instruction and correction. Not sinful, but their good. Obeying Christ is not a burden because Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14. And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, 1 John 5. So the sin to avoid, once again, the CFPC catechism. We should not neglect to honor those in authority over us. Of course, this includes father and mother within our own homes, but also includes other authorities such as elders and pastors, employers and bosses, police and law enforcement, and all governing authorities. We must not dishonor them or disobey them. Romans 13 and 1 Peter. Ultimately, the sin that's being spoken of is pride. When we think we are above someone else when we are not. When a rule should not apply to us. That somehow 
we should be exempt from that rule. When in doubt, humble yourself and ask for clarity. The Westminster and the Heidelberg Catechisms both have great writings and a big section on those on that very topic. The fifth commandment is not about blind obedience. Parents, when we are teaching our children about obedience, we are showing them what it means to honor and obey God. For the question of why this commandment, why is it there? Why is there not a commandment before the saying something about parents obeying the Lord and then children obeying the parents? The answer is implied in the commandment. Let me step back and look at it from a higher viewpoint. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So all of us who are broad but by Christ, you are sons, you are daughters. You are a son and you are a daughter of the Most High. So think about that. Keep that in mind when I say this. Children, honor your father. How can we as parents ever expect our children to honor us if we are not obeying our heavenly father? We cannot demand, we cannot command from our children what we ourselves are not doing. So do you remember that story from the beginning? That teenage boy who was on the couch, the father telling him to get off his butt and do something with his life. That teenage boy was me. It took the reproof of a loving father to get me going. There will be times in which tough love must be given to our children. We are tough on our children to prepare them for the future. One of the goals of parenting is that we are getting our children ready to leave our house, that they may cleave to a spouse and start their own family, hopefully loving and seeking the Lord all the while. Children, honor your fathers and your mothers. And for us, sons and daughters of Most High, honor your father.